All right. Good morning, Calvary family. How are we feeling today? Aren't you thankful that our pastor only had one service this morning, 11 o'clock? I'm wondering that's probably why it's so full in here today, so pastor, appreciate that. Uh, hey, my name is Mike, and I get an honor to just serve at this church as one of the pastors. It's been a great joy the past six or seven months my family's been here, and uh, we just love, love you guys, love being with you. And, um, and we, we, my wife and I were talking maybe a couple weeks ago, and we were just talking, uh, honestly, just about Pastor Benny and Pastor Kelly, and I made a comment. I said, they are some of God's choice people, like, like not just because of how great they passed and all that, but there's just their heart. I know that God just looks on them with such great joy. Uh, and my wife looked at me and she said, you know, I've never heard you say that about somebody. And it, it's true. I, I haven't said that about anybody, Pastor. And I wish Pastor Kelly was here as well. Uh, but it's because you guys have made such an impact in such a short amount of time in our lives, our family, and our ministry. So come on, give it up for our pastors. Aren't they amazing? Come on. Our pastors are amazing. We love you guys. Uh, man, if, if you're new here, uh, man, welcome. We're glad you're here. You got to come back next week to actually hear Pastor Benny speak because he's like way better than me. Amen, somebody. So make sure you come back. I know uh, we might be here, but hey, happy New Year's to you all. Yeah. So I had a prayer for this new year for all of us uh, that our troubles would last as long as our resolutions. All right, all right, all right. Seven of you are awake. That was just a test to see if we're awake. And I think the spirit of Pastor Benny is coming over me. Uh, I have another one. Do you like to hear it? Thank you, Tony. Um, you know, the difference between a, a child at New Year's and a parent at New Year's is a child gets to stay up. A parent is forced to stay up, right? Wave at me. Yeah, okay. Last one, last one. One more no, or should I just move on? Okay, one more. I've never really liked watching the ball drop because it reminds me of my year. Ball drop, no? No, all right. You should have told me to stop when I had the chance. Thank you. Uh, he, uh, put him. It's because I don't have Alex hitting the drums for me. No, seriously, I'm excited to be with you all today. This isn't going to be your, your typical, like, hey, New Year's, five keys to a successful New Year. Uh, but I do believe that we're going to give some practical things that, that God would want from each and every one of us uh, in this New Year. But before I get into it, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to just worship you, God. I thank you for how rich the worship was today, and uh, we understand that. That's probably because we've been just thinking about how grateful we are for what you have done in 2022, and that's why we've come in with such expectation and such grateful hearts today, and so we pray that you would continue to be glorified and honored uh, through the rest of our service today. We love you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I read a story not too long ago, uh, and I thought it was pretty good, and I think I should share it with you. It's a story about a, a church, a church much similar to our church. It, the area was, was very similar. Uh, it was a great church. They were doing really great, great things. And one night, something horrible happened. One night, the church building caught on fire. There was like an electrical fire in the building, and everybody in the neighborhood's coming out, and they're watching this church, which is, which is burning, which is on fire, and there's a girl that goes to the church, and she's out there, and she's like, man, this is terrible, and she looks over, and she sees one of her classmates who's standing over there, and she's like, well, that's really strange. Why is she here? Because she's never come to church, and so she goes over to her classmate, and is like, hey, man, isn't this wild? She's like, yeah, this is crazy, and she's like, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I've invited you to church, but you've never come to church with me before. Why, why are you here now? And her response was, your church has never been on fire before. 
Now, what I'm not saying is that our church isn't on fire. Clearly, if you sit through some worship here, uh, you know, you see the presence of God moving. You see people who are on fire for God. But when I read that story, it wasn't so much about a church or a gathering of people. I really took that as, a, as an indicator of my life. Right? So is my life on fire for Jesus? Is my life contagious? Because how many of you know the fire of God is contagious, right? When you have a fire for God, a passion for God burning inside of you, then that's going to draw people to you, not for your glory, but to bring them to Jesus Christ, right? And so take that story in your own life. Are you burning hot for Jesus? Are you on fire for Jesus? Because if you are, you're going to see your families changing. You're going to see the, the world around you changing, your influence changing. Now, this year, moving forward, we need to be an individual who is on fire for Jesus. If every one of us as an individual are in this room are on fire for Jesus, what do you think God would do through Calvary this year? Come on, we want to be a church that is burning hot and burning bright for Jesus. You hear this word revival thrown around a whole lot, right? And it's, it's a great word, and it, it's cool and all that, but if we went through like 10 different definitions or 10 different people, we'd have 10 different definitions of what it means today, right? And so I want to talk to you simply about personal revival in your life. Moving forward for the rest of this year, I want you to catch a fire, and then we can start talking about reaching the lost and all that stuff later in the year. But right now, we got to get hot for Jesus, right? So my definition uh, for revival is this. It's a sustained, somebody say sustained, manifest presence of God, which brings change and transformation. This is my definition. It's a sustained. In other words, it's not just you have one good service, you have three good days of your Bible reading app. It's a sustained. This is something that is continual. There's not an end to it. You're continuing to push on. It's continuing to move forward, right? So it's sustained manifest presence of God. Most of us probably know the theology that God is everywhere at all times, right? He's omnipresent. But there's very special times where the presence of God will manifest itself, where we'll see a transformation coming because wherever the Spirit of God is, Pastor Sean already told us this morning that there is freedom, right? So it's a sustained, meaning continual, manifest presence of God which brings change and transformation. You can't say that you're in revival if you're not being changed, you can't say you're a rival if people around you are not being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, right? So, so this is what we're looking for first as individuals, and secondly, when each and every one of us get this, then collectively we have come to a place of, of revival, collective revival. But revival starts with an individual. So that's my definition for it. And this is, this is what I try for. I try to keep it pushing, keep sustaining, keep, keep fanning the flame, keep doing these things. And let me give you a biblical definition of what this could look like. Uh, Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies, Cause the nations to quake before you, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect. You came down, the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's saying, in other words, well, I, got, I got such a, a desire for your presence right now. I, I need you to just open up the remedies to break apart or to separate, right? Tear apart the heavens to come down and make your presence manifest with this. Is that any of your prayer for this year? 
Is that any of your prayer for this church? That the heavens would be open, we'd be literally moving under an open heaven? Come on, this is what he's saying is possible. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. It says, let the mountains tremble before you. So when you get an O in your spirit, crying out for God, he, he opens the heavens, he comes down, it says that the mountains would tremble before you. Mountains are always symbolic of an obstacle, of a struggle, of a trial, of something in your way, of a blockage of some sort. But what he's saying here in Isaiah is that when you get an O and God comes down, the mountains begin to be moved. Some of your translations might even say that the mountains begin to melt. Where things were difficult, they become easy. Come on, the things that were blocking you begin to come out of your life. Come on, this is what it would look like if you would catch personal revival in your life, if this church would catch revival. He goes on to say, as when fire sets twigs ablaze. So, so when God comes down, he, he does two things. The, the fire of God comes with him, so he sets dead things on fire sets twigs ablaze, twigs are dead, or he sets them on fire, and he also burns the dead things away from your life. So, so, so when you're really catching personal revival, when you're really catching revival, there's going to be things in your life that were stagnant and dead are not going to be caught on fire. They're going to be life speaking into them, and the things that were dead and bringing death to you are going to be burned away. Come on, this is what we're going for. This is what we need to catch as individuals this year. It goes on to say, and it causes water to boil. I can't help but think of the words of Jesus. If you are lukewarm, I will. Come on. When you catch personal revival, that apathetic spirit that so many of us can easily, including myself included, fall into, begins to be washed away. Man, you catch a fire, you catch on flame, and all that just nonsense that would, would dull you down a little bit. Is no longer when God truly comes, when God truly rends the heaven and comes down, he sets the water to boil. I love this one. It goes on to say, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Let me remind you, your enemy is not your co-worker or your in-law, right? He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual darkness, Correct? Come on, so when, when God truly opens the heaven, when you're truly in a state of revival, and he truly sends his spirit down, come on, like sickness will have to bow to our healer. That's his name, right? Lack will have to bow to Jira, our provider, right? The spirit of defeat that you've been walking in for years will have to bow to Nisi, right? Come on, you are, your victory is in God. So every enemy that you're facing, the name of God will be known to that name. Come on, addiction. We'll bow to that name of Jesus when the heavens are opened and he comes down. He goes on to say, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect. This is where this can get a little bit tricky because how many of you know we like to have things planned out? We like to know what our plan is. We like to know what we're doing. See, see, we, you know, this is not about me anyway, but my wife and I thought we had a pretty good plan for our lives like a year ago. And all of a sudden, we catch personal revival, and God is like, no, I need you to completely quit everything and do something different. And that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes God is going to ask you to completely rearrange your life. When you catch personal revival, he will do things that you did not expect. That's why so many people try and quench the Spirit of God, because you can't control the Spirit of God when he actually has free access and free flow, Correct. So no, if you are going to brave into this venture with us to catch personal revival, God may require something different of you that you did not expect. 
It says, you came down, the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient time, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, and no eye has seen any God beside you, and they never will. Somebody say amen. amen. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, I don't believe that this is a sitting there, twiddling your thumbs kind of waiting. I think there is an active waiting here that God wants all of us to, to, to kind of take in. So if we're saying that, man, God, oh God, would you rend the heavens? Would you come down? Would you cause the mountains to tremble, the water to boil, the twigs to set blaze, your enemies to know your name, to do things that we didn't know that you were going to do? It's going to take some work on our part. Come on, there's an element of, of sovereignty in a move of God, but there's also an element of hunger in a move of God. Every move of God started because people began to pray, because people began to gather, because people began to arrange their lives for what they were expecting God to do. God doesn't send his manifest presence in a supernatural way just for the sake of it. I really believe he responds to hunger. Those who are hungry shall be healed. Correct. So there's two things this year and this week that I want you to start doing. And I think this is kind of requirements for your revival. The first one is this. It's extravagant worship. It's extravagant worship. And I'm not talking about hallelujah. Though I think there's an element to that. Romans tells us what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your holy and acceptable form of worship. So is the way you're living your life an extravagant way for Jesus? Are you living your life extravagantly for Jesus? Or are you just kind of checking the Christian box? Are we just going through the Christian motion? There's so many times in my life where I've just fallen into doing the Christian things and haven't really been living my life extravagantly in worship for God. And so for each and every one of us, God is requiring from us an extravagant life of worship. I'm going to read a passage from Malachi chapter 1. I think it's kind of telling uh, of where some of the body of Christ could be. Now, Malachi chapter 1, this is taking place after the restoration of the temple. And if you don't know what that means, there was, uh, man, God had his presence. He wanted, in the Old Testament, he wanted his presence to be with his people. And so he had a man named Moses build an ark of the covenant. And that's where he would dwell. That's where his people could meet with him. And then they, they were taken out of bondage. They wandered around the desert. During that time, they would set up this tabernacle where they would put the, the presence of God in that. And there was a place where they could come and they could meet God. And then Joshua takes the tabernacle in to the promised land. And for some years, it's there. And then eventually, uh, a man named King Solomon builds a temple so the presence of God would have a home to dwell in, where the presence of God would have a permanent location for itself. And it was a wonderful thing. Something pretty cool happens. Uh, you can go read that story. Uh, but anyway, shortly after that, not shortly, a couple hundred years after that, a man named Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he destroys Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. Things are not in good shape. And then we hear the story of a man who rebuilds the temple. So 50 years after that. So this man builds this temple. So there was a place for people of God to worship God. It was a permanent location. It gets destroyed. And then another man comes and rebuilds the temple. And so they have a rebuilt temple. Now, let me read this to you. Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. All right. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is your priests who show contempt for my name. Let me just stop here. The Bible says that you who belong to Jesus Christ are a royal priesthood. Okay. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? 
by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. But when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us, which such offerings from your hands will he accept, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, notice what we started out. We started about, oh God, would you rend the heavens? God, we're desperate for you to open the heavens. Now we hear God saying, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets in every place. Incense and pure offerings or worship will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord God Almighty. So we have a people of God who had a place to worship God. It gets destroyed. It gets rebuilt. And they're still giving him half-hearted worship. They're still giving him half-hearted praise. It reminds me of a lot of what happened in 2020, right? Every church in the nation was shut down. And now we actually have a place where we can come back and worship. And some of us still come in with half-hearted worship to God. That's crazy, right? Come on, we can't fall into the same trap these people. God says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. In other words, I'd rather shut the whole system down than for you to come in here and give me half-hearted worship. And if I'm stepping on your toes, it's not in a mean way. I love you, but I hope it hurts. Come on. We need to be people who are extravagant about our worship to God, who are extravagant about our praise to God. That's what he requires from each one of us. He doesn't require half of your best. He requires your very best. Imagine if God gave us half of his best. He would have sent Jesus, and Jesus would have just lived on this earth. What good would that have done us? No, he gave everything for you he gave everything for me so we got to be people who extravagantly live our lives fully surrendered fully sold out to jesus christ somebody say amen. amen so when we make this decision it's not going to be easy some of us are making this decision even right now to say you know what god we are going all in for you this year we're not holding back a single single thing uh for you uh let me let me see what time it is i gotta move on i would love to share can i share this story Do you want to hear a story really quickly do I have time, Pastor? Okay. So there was a man. He was uh, anniversary. He was at the store. And he was getting something for his wife. He was, his wife loves perfume, so he goes to the counter. And he says, hey, I want a bottle of your finest perfume. So she comes out, and she brings him the perfume, and he smells, and he's like, man, this is wonderful. And then he looks at the price tag, and he was like, $300. This is not that wonderful, correct? <laughs> he says, you got anything a little bit cheaper. And she says, yeah, I do. And so she goes to the back. She gets another bottle. She brings that. He smells it. It's lovely as well. He looks at it, $150. He's like, that ain't that lovely either. So you got something a little bit cheaper? And she's like, I do. So she goes back. She brings him a third bottle of uh, perfume, and he smells it, $75 bottle. Mm, it doesn't smell that great. He says, do you have anything just maybe just a, a little bit cheaper? And she goes back, and she comes back out to the counter, and she hands him a mirror. It's a ridiculous story, right? But that's how we be doing God sometimes. That's how we be doing God sometimes. Like, God, I love you, but not for $300 worth of love. I love you, but not for $150 worth of love. Come on. We got to be people who are extravagant for worship. When you make this decision, there's two things that are going to happen. You are going to irritate the worldly people around you. 
It's going to bother them like crazy that you are living your life in such extravagance for God, that you're surrendering everything, that you're giving everything up and going to the mission field, that you're giving everything up and changing your life, that you're willing to open your mouth to be in a place where you could even put your job in jeopardy. Come on, people are going to think you are absolutely nuts and it's going to irritate them. But at the same time, it's going to provoke those who are spiritual. It's going to be encouragement to those who are spiritual and want to live. It's going to be encouragement for those who are wrestling. Man, should I really go this far for Jesus? Is the gospel really worth this thing? And let me tell you, the gospel is really, really worth this thing. Mark 14 says this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival. They said, uh, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon, uh, the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Not cheap perfume, but the very, very best of the best. Made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly. That's not a good thing. They were saying indignantly to one another, why waste of the perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. So when somebody goes to do an extravagant act of worship, the worldly people around her say what? Indignantly. Why would you do something like that? It's going to happen to us in this room too. It's going to happen to you. And I'm just telling you this to be prepared because you don't need to listen to that. You need to listen simply to obedience to the voice of God. Come on, obedience is your number one rate for success. That's how you gauge success, not by results, but by obedience. Amen? Goes on to say, verse 9, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this woman who had extravagant acts of worship for God. What if somebody in this room could do something, if the Lord tarries, so great for God that 2,000 years later they're still talking about it? Come on, if the Lord tarries, is that possible that somebody, that God would use somebody in this room for such extravagant acts of worship that 2,000 years later, they're reading a biography or a biography about your life and about how you affected the kingdom of God? I don't think it's a stretch if it could happen for this woman who God just saved in a miraculous way, which he saved us all in a miraculous way. Don't you think it happened for you? Come on, extravagant worship. The first requirement for personal revival is extravagant worship. The second is this. Desperate prayers. Desperate prayers. Now, I know one thing about prayer. It's, it's very easy when that spirit of prayer comes on you, and you can just kind of flow, and things are moving really well in the spirit. You can just feel like everything you're saying is touching heaven. But how many of you know not every single day of your life does prayer feel like that, correct? So, so desperate prayers are a mature choice of the will. So it, you have to wake up every day and say, even though I don't feel like pressing in in prayer, that, oh, God, would you rend the heavens? Even though I don't feel like giving an O to God today, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Even though at nighttime you're tired and you're like, you know, I don't really have it in me, but you still have a mature choice of your will to pray. That's the type of prayer we need to talk about. That's the type of prayer that you need to begin to, uh, to bring in, out into your life. And I pray that really just the spirit of prayer would rest on this whole house. Thank you for doing three weeks of prayer and fasting. Pastor West does prayer on Sunday nights here, man. We can get the schedule. Call the office. You'll get the schedule for that, man. You should be at these things. If you can be at these things, be at them. Come on. That's a part of that extravagant worship is I'm going to prioritize my life to be there, to be where God is. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. That sounds like a prayer to me, right? Isaiah 64, oh God, would you now rend the heavens? Would you come down? 
How many of you know about a man named Charles Finney? Wave at me if you've ever heard of Charles Finney before. Wonderful man of God. He was used in miraculous ways to set a revival in the Second Great Awakening, like the 1800s, 1820s, 1830s, uh, something along that line. So God used him in really powerful ways in, like, the northeastern uh, part of the country. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. Now, everybody has heard of a man named Charles Finney. How many of you ever heard of a man named uh, Daniel Nash? Wave at me. Father Nash. One, two, three. About five of us have heard it. See, now... Charles Finney, something interesting about Charles Finney is he attributes all of his success in ministry, hundreds of thousands of people getting saved, revival sweeping to the Northwest, to two things. One, the power of God, clearly, and two, a man named Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash was a pastor in New York. He had two revivals in his pastorate. One, it was like 70 out of like 100 people in his town got saved. Another, it was like 200 people got saved out of like 300 houses, which is nuts when you start thinking about the context there. So he had two great moves of God. After the first great move of God, the church didn't really like what was going on, so they got rid of him. One of those, when God comes down and truly does something, he'll do things that weren't expected, right? So I think when... The Spirit of God really broke out in their church. The leaders of that church were like, no, we can't have all this. And so he goes to a second church, and he does it again. God shows him a mighty way, and again, he's out of that church. The same thing begins to happen. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to resign myself to be a life of prayer, to a life of prayer. My ministry is no longer a preaching ministry. It's a prayer ministry. So he connects with a man named Charles Finney who was the leader of the Great Second Awakening, this great revival that took place. And so what would happen is God would direct them to go to a city to preach, and Daniel, Father Nash, would, he would go to that city, and for like two or three weeks, he would just find somewhere to stay and find like two or three like-minded people that had an O in their spirit, and he would just say, Oh God, would you rend the heavens? Would you come down? He would prepare the place for revival. He was a man of desperate, desperate, desperate prayer. And I believe we have some intercessors in this house like that. And I just want to encourage you, keep pressing, keep praying. Keep pressing, keep praying. Really cool story that happened. There was this gang of like five teenagers, not gang, I don't know why I said gang. This group of like five teenagers who were really disturbing one meeting. And so Finney's like, all right, he goes to Father Nash. He's like, what are we going to do about this? So they seek themselves, they seek God in prayer. They got this O in their spirit for God to do something pretty cool. And they go to the next service, and Father Nash gets up. He doesn't ever preach, but he gets up, and he comes behind the pulpit, and he looks at these five teenagers, and he says, look, you're either going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, or God is going to send you to hell this week. You better have heard from God if you say something like that. Right? Wouldn't you know, the next day, the leader of the whole group comes and finds Finney. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but i got to give my life to Jesus. And that week, all of them get saved, and God moves powerfully. Why? Because he was a man that had desperate, desperate prayers. Come on, his prayers are no more powerful than your prayers. And that's the type of praying spirit, that travailing spirit that I want to just help us get in this church a little bit. I need more of it in my own life. Somebody say amen. First Samuel chapter 1, there's another story. That was a man of prayer. But how many you know women can pray too? I mean, if I'm honest, most of them can pray better than us. I'm just saying. First Samuel chapter 1, he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. 
This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. I know this is a major stretch, but just give it to me here. Please, can, can you just give me some grace here? Let me step over here away from the pulpit. She didn't eat, so maybe there's something to fasting with us these next 21 days. Amen? Okay. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more than you to ten sons? Don't say that to your wife, guys. Even when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish or desperation, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Desperate prayers are birthed out of desperate people who are desperate to see God do something. Are any of you desperate to see God do something in your life? Are any of you desperate to see God do something in this church? Are any of you desperate to see God do something in your family? Come on, this is where desperate prayers are birthed. And if there's not a desperation to see God move, guess what? You're never going to hit this point of desperate prayers. Come on, pride would stop this and thinking that we got it together, that our life isn't that bad, that my sin isn't that bad, that this and that and this and that. Come on, you'll never see God rend the heavens and come down. Because there's an element to us that thinks that we can do it without him. Come on, desperate prayers are birthed from desperate people who are desperate to see God do something. Is anybody desperate for God today? Come on. In her deep anguish, in her desperation, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitter, bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will be used to his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I'm a woman who is desperate. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I just feel like some of us just need to really get to that place to pour out our soul today. We we just got to get to the place where we don't care what people around us are thinking. We don't care what's going on. I just got to pour everything I have out to Jesus. Come on, there's something freeing when you can get raw and authentic with Jesus and just let it all out. Come on, God wants that for you today. There'll be a freedom that comes if you could just pour out your soul to him today. It says, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you had asked of him. Now, I started out this whole time by saying, oh, God, would you rend the heavens? Would you you come down? Would you cause the mountains to tremble, the water to boil? Like, like I'm a pretty exuberant, I'm kind of a loud person. I'm Sicilian because it kind of comes with the territory, right? What I'm not saying is you have to be me. Here, she's weeping, she's desperate, and she's not even making a simple noise. It says not even a noise was coming out of her. So I'm not, when I'm talking about desperate prayers, don't think because you don't have my personality, you can't pray when I'm talking about praying. This woman didn't have my personality, but she was desperate for God. She poured her soul out before God without a single noise coming out of her. So this isn't just for me. This isn't just for somebody with a microphone. This is for each and every one of us. So can we all stand across this room? Come on, how many of you are desperate to see God do something? Come on, I don't want to just go through the motions with God. I'm sick of that. I've done it for too long. You've done it for too long. 
But when we begin to live our lives extravagantly for Jesus, when we begin to take space into our lives to go after Jesus and to pray desperate prayers for Jesus, we'll see some things move. Let me encourage you with this. Back in November, I shared uh, part of this message, and, and I talked to a family member who was in that church a couple weeks ago. This mom decided that she was going to get everyone in her family that knew Jesus to get on a phone call every night. And so every night, all of her family members have been getting on a phone call and praying for their lost loved ones, the ones who don't know Jesus. In other words, she got fed up with the situation. She got an O in her spirit, and she was like, we're going to pray desperate prayers. We're going to band together, and we're going to do this. And how many of you know at least one of them have now given their lives to Jesus, last I heard? Come on. That's a start, right? So they're, every day, they're praying as a family for their lost loved ones, and one of them now has come to faith. He got to celebrate his first Christmas as a believer. That's wonderful, right? Why? She was desperate. She was sick of seeing it, so she got desperate to see God do something. Take that. If that's for your family, then do that. Take that. I started out by saying, let me rend the heavens. Oh, God, would you rend the heavens? Joel 2 says something really interesting. Joel 2 is talking about the promise of the Spirit being poured out on you. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, which you'll be doing soon, with weeping and mourning. Verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and he's compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So if we're asking God to rend the heavens, to split the heavens apart, to send down his power and his presence, there better be a rending of our heart first. There better be a brokenness in our heart that says, God, I'm sorry for trying to do things my way. God, I'm sorry for not doing things the way that you've called me to do. I'm sorry for living this life of sin. God, I'm sorry for being apathetic. God, I'm sorry. God, my heart is broken for how I have not given you extravagant worship, how I've given you $75 perfumes worth of worship. Rend your hearts. And you might be new in here today. I know January 1st, it might good chance that some of you are new or you're visiting with family. What does that even mean? What, what is this all about? What is this gospel? What is this Jesus thing all about? Let me just tell you quickly what the gospel is. The gospel is this, that God created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the trees. He created the water. And he did it perfectly. He didn't make a single mistake. He actually, the Bible actually says that he, it, was, it was good. And then he creates his favorite creation, which is you and I, which is humanity, which is us. And he doesn't just say that it's good, but he says it's, it's very good. In other words, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make an error in you, though you might think that there's something wrong with you at times. I know there's something wrong with me sometimes, but God didn't make a mistake. He made you perfectly. He did that for one reason and one reason alone, so that you could be in relationship with him. The Bible says that it's in him that you live, that you move, that you have your being. That is why God created you, to be in fellowship with him, to be in relationship with him. And you say, if God is a good God and he's perfect and he made me perfect and he made the world perfect, why is there so much imperfection? Why is there so much brokenness? Well, the answer to that is very simple. It's sin. Sin in its most simplest and basic definition is anything outside of God's perfect design for your life. Anything outside of what God has said is good for you is sin. I know that's a hard word for some of us because we like to live life by our own rules. But guess what? You didn't create yourself and I didn't create myself. So we don't get to decide what's good for us. God alone does. 
So every time we sin, do something outside of God's perfect design for life, there's a brokenness that begins to take place. You look in the world around us, we see brokenness everywhere. We see war, we see death, we see disease, we see addiction, we see abuse, we see all of these things. Bible goes as far as to say that the wages of sin is death. In other words, because of that sin, there's a brokenness of the world around us, but most importantly, and the worst brokenness, is your relationship from God. Remember, he created you to be in relationship with him. And when we read this verse about, oh, would you rend the heavens, what he's saying here is that well, I need a broken heart to say, God, I've done things against the way you would have me done. I need your forgiveness. Come on. The wages of sin is death, but that verse doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Jesus, we just celebrated his birth at Christmas time. Most of you probably had a wonderful Christmas, right? But that was the reason. That's why we did it, because Jesus was born. He lived the next 33 years of his life perfectly, without a single mistake, without holding a single grudge against somebody. Really, he lived the life that you were supposed to live and that I was supposed to live, but we couldn't because we like to do things our own way, right? So those 33 years he did that, he was healing, he was teaching, claiming to be the son of God. And for it, the religious people of the day, they killed him for it. They hung him on a cross and he died a sinner's, a criminal's death. He died the death that you and I were supposed to die. The wages of sin is death. He died our death. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he truly was the Son of God. Proving that he had overcome death, that he had overcome sin, and that through him there is eternal life. The wage of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So how do you and I get this? How do we receive this gift of eternal life? The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So that it's that broken heart to say, God, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. I need that forgiveness for my sin. Would you make me new? That's it. We're going to say a prayer in just a second. The prayer doesn't save you. It's the faith in the prayer. Come on. It's the faith in the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, I'm talking about never, even as a kid, and this is the first time you're hearing this, or maybe this is the first time you're understanding the gospel, and you're ready to say, yes, God, I want to do things your way. God, I need forgiveness of my sin. I need a new law. I need a new start. I need a fresh start on this January 1st of 2023. And you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. I want you to slip your hand in the air. Maybe at one time you had given your life to Jesus, living for him, and now you've kind of been doing life the way that you want to do it again. You've been living the life only on your terms, not only how God has defined your life to be lived. I want you to slip your hand up in the air. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus again, to come back to Jesus. Raise it high. Come on. Take a minute here. Hands are going up all over him. Come on. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. So let's, as a Calvary family, let's just all say this together. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for living the life that I couldn't. Thank you for dying the death that I deserved. Thank you for being raised to life so I can too. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you were raised from the dead. So now make me new. Place your spirit within me and help me to live for you from this day forward and forever. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. 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 And amen. Come on, give it up to those who responded. Hey.
If you responded, somebody might be coming behind you. We have some little bags that they'll give you in that bag. It's a Bible, it's a devotional, a book to do your journals and your devotionals in. Uh, if I could have the prayer team come forward, we're almost done. We're almost done. So if, there, if that was you and you didn't get one of those, you could also fill out a connection card, say, hey, I made a decision to rededicate, made a decision first, and then you can meet Pastor out in the lobby. He'll get you one. If you didn't get a bag, he'll be out there. Come on. But I don't want to just talk about desperate prayers. I don't want to give a, a call about giving desperate prayers. I want to give you an opportunity to pray desperate prayers, all right? So we got the prayer team here. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know your situations. I don't know what area of desperation you have. But what I do know is that God will meet you in your hunger. So I'm going to just, on the count of three, man, if you want to come up, receive prayer for anything. If you want prayer alone, you can just find a spot in between. And we're going to spend a little bit of time. Where's the band? Can the band join me here? Come on. You guys can even just start singing behind me now. Come on. And let's make this an atmosphere of prayer. Make this an atmosphere of worship. Come on. If you need a prayer, come on down. One, two, three. Come on. Come on. Come on. Altars are open. You just want time alone with God? Take a knee up here. Jesus, we're desperate for you tonight, God. We're desperate for you today, Jesus. Come on, I bind the 